there was a phone call that could have changed our lives. Callie and I could have been household names like Oprah Winfrey or Ellen DeGeneres because we were talking to an agent from a giant Hollywood agency, except we made a terrible mistake. I handled the call and not Callie, and I'm convinced my awkwardness screwed it up. We'll explain in just a second. Living in gratitude, finding the positive in every experience, and helping other people do the same. You are now part of the movement. Welcome to the Upside Podcast with Callie and Jeff. How to be awkward 101 while on a business call. That course happens in 90 seconds. But first, some exciting news. We've said from the beginning that the Upside is going to be a an inclusive we're all going to do it together project. And so when you guys ask for some merchandise, we deliver. And y'all asked for weaponized hamsters t-shirts. If you haven't listened to episode four yet, go listen back to episode four. And the title of it starts with weaponized hamsters. So you can't miss it. Uh, but after that episode, we were all dying laughing at that term and decided we needed band shirts. You asked for weaponized hamster band shirts. So we did it and they are up. The presale is happening right now. Um, so you can get the shirt sizes that you want and then we'll order a couple extras after this presale is over. Um, but probably won't have much more beyond that. And they're not coming back. This is like a one-time thing that we're doing. So um, the next two weeks, pre-order your shirts. You can go find links in me and Jeff's Instagram accounts at Jeff Dollar. Oh, no, no, no. It's easy to find them. Weaponizedhamsters.com. Perfect. See, this is why I love Jeff Dollar. Weaponizedhamsters.com will take you to our shirts. And it's a uh, hamster spelled H-A-M-S-T-E-R-S. No P. No P and hamsters. All right. Was it as bad as I thought it was during our phone call with the big time guy? Well, I don't know because I was only hearing one side of the conversation. Like Jeff didn't put him on speakerphone. So I don't know what he was saying to you and I couldn't read his tone. So I was only going off of what you did. And I honestly didn't think it was bad. And Jeff's been beating himself up over it for the past, what, four days. You only get one shot to make a first impression. Okay. Rewinding. If you haven't caught up on the upside episodes from last week, Callie and I got a message from a guy who works with United Talent Agency, which is one of the biggest talent representation firms in the country, right? Yeah. I mean, they have Jeff Foxworthy, Seth Meyers, they have Diddy, they have Guns N' Roses, they have my favorite podcast, Crime Junkie, they have the Spice Girls I saw. So these are like, these guys are a big deal. They're a huge deal. And they, they reached out to us after the tremendous success of the first few episodes of, of the podcast and said, we want to have a conversation and get to know you guys further. It, it was so bizarre. It was such a bizarre message to get that we thought it was a joke, but when we realized it wasn't, we had a call set up for last week at it's like 6.45 at night, and it made for a very anxious day. It was very exciting. Who gets to talk to a Hollywood agent? Jeff is is pretty giddy 
right now. And I'm like, hello, you've been in this business for what, 20 years in the radio business. And Jeff said, I've never gotten a call like this before. So I'm super nervous. And he was being all like awkward. And I, it, in retro, I don't know. I didn't know how to handle it. Like in retrospect, I probably should have just written back and said, Hey, thanks. Thanks for your interest. My wife and I will both be on the call, right? Should I have done that? Did I? No, we- I think you're way overthinking. All right. Well, the guy called like right on time. His assistant says, hello, I've got blah, blah, blah and, and on the call. And then also, and then there was another person on the call. And uh, are you ready for them? Like the president's calling or something, right? And I go, yeah, I'm ready for him. So we go into the the bedroom because that's the room where the dogs will make the least amount of noise. Like if somebody came to the door or there was a squirrel or a chipmunk or something, the least disturbance would be in the master bedroom. And Callie sat on the bed and I paced while I talked to this guy. And I felt so awkward and weird during the call. I don't see anything. I don't know why you're freaking out. Here's why I think you're freaking out. I think you're freaking out because normally before you have an important call, Jeff likes facts. He operates on facts. Okay. So every important conversation in his life, he walks into armed with a set of facts. He, I mean, he probably would have been a great lawyer. So this time he didn't come in armed with any facts or any goals of what he wanted to say. He just hopped on a call and had a normal being normal human being conversation And he's not used to that. He's used to like not scripting his calls, but like, you know, practicing and kind of knowing what you want to say. And you didn't do that. So I think you're feeling insecure because you didn't do that. I didn't see any problem with it. And then you followed up with an email and he wrote you back almost instantly. So if he thought you sucked, he wouldn't have written you back at all. And you said that's a big deal, right? The fact that he wrote me back almost instantly is a, is a big deal. You know what I feel like right now? I feel as though we just went on a first date and we're like, do we call? Do we call? Is it good that he called the yes, next day? Is it bad? Like, that's exactly what it's like. Yeah. That's what I feel like we're but, doing. But uh, I think you're way overthinking. Okay. But you read his email back to us. It was a good email, right? It was yeah, positive. Yeah, it was a great email. Okay. Yeah. So, so to, to, to bring y'all in the loop on it, then number one, first of all, he was very complimentary. He thought it, we had cool chemistry, which I thought was nice. Like he had listened to it. Right. He loves the fact that we are not like, like preachy plan, you know, like here's how to live your life Yeah. that we're, we're telling the stories, the ups and down stories of our own lives and using that as uh, kind of like a springboard to talk about our belief and gratitude and finding the upside and all that. So he liked all of that stuff. And then he said, uh, I really, and he offered to help us in a couple yeah. different ways. Like when we launched the daily show, he's going to tr- try to, to um, tip off some people in the industry who, who can help promote it. So like, that was good. Yeah, right? that was really nice. Okay. And, but what he did say is, uh, that the measuring stick on podcast, which is something, this is something I didn't know, is 60 days performance. Because a lot of people start podcasts and then they just stop doing them. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. And number two, 
if you are still performing well at the end of 60 days, as well or better as you were on day one, that means people really do like you. Right. And they're not just checking it out and you're not just kind of like doing it halfway. You're right. really invested in it and it's it's a safe business to take a bet on. So he kind of gave us some loose numbers of what kind of industry standards were. And the good news is, is we're halfway to the goal numbers in our first week. But the scary part is now we know that people are watching and he's watching and he knows when the launch of the daily show is. Uh So now he's watching to see if people really love the upside and people want to see more of the upside and in different forms and all of that. And I'm sure he has some super secret magical industry power so he can see what you guys are doing, <laughs> how, how long you're listening. If you're listening to every, every episode, what's the, so he can kind of see our data. So no pressure. We just have to, um, be impressive. <laughs> and I think we're, we're, I think we're going to be fine. Like, I think we're okay with that. I'm worried about me because here's, here's a little behind the scenes with radio like the old school, the radio I've worked in for 20 years, right? Is when you get ratings, they are based on the shows that you did like a month ago or more. So if you look at a a thing and say, hey, this many thousands of people listen to you, like we get a a thing because this is how, this is how you're performing. This is how many thousands of people listen to you. It's not immediate. It's like a star. You know, you look at the star and you're actually looking at the light from a year ago or 10 years ago or a hundred years ago. Okay. That's what radio ratings are. You're looking at data from shows you did a month or two ago with podcasting. I have learned that I could refresh the numbers every hour and see how we're doing, how long people are listening to episodes. Just been for- sitting in front of a computer for like a week. I can't not do it. He can't not do it. He loves data. So I don't know if you love data like Jeff Dollar loves data, but he likes to see real-time data and then say, okay, here are the trends. And he knows by percentage, what percentage we go up at what times of the day. I mean, he has got the math all figured out. I used to be when, like, I, yeah. I've I've always been that way with with concrete numbers. Like I used to refresh my bank account when I knew a direct deposit was going in. So like I knew exactly when it was going in. Mm-hmm. Like I just like concrete data facts. It's it's like one of those gravity blanket things that you like. How is that at all the it same? It just smothers me in comfort. It's comforting to you to see numbers? Yeah. No, it's comforting to you to see numbers when they're good. When they're bad, you don't feel anxious about it? No, that's not true because even if they're bad, that's useful data. Oh, so you can take whatever data it is and turn it into something else. And that's it just the receiving that data. And I think that's why there were times working in radio, especially at star when it was my name on the show, like I would be so consumed with performance and like how we were doing because I knew that it would be six weeks before I would have input Mm -hmm. on how we did. And even that input is, is, difficult to, to extrapolate from. Yeah. Like with a podcast, like I can look 
an hour after I post this and see if anybody cares about this conversation. Yeah. Like I can look and see if everybody shut it off right now, I would be able to say, well, nobody cares about my weird data comfort. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, so I just, and like, I'm the total opposite because if I were looking at data and it wasn't great, I would sit there and be like, oh my gosh, everyone hates me. I suck. This is never going to work. And Jeff uses it as jet fuel. Like, for a rocket. We got, do you remember that super bizarre complaint that somebody sent to us and I forwarded it to you because it was funny? Oh, Jeff thought it was hilarious and it made me want to cry. And you said, please don't send me anything like that. It, it was basically saying, it, it, it was a complaint about the podcast that was so outrageous that it couldn't even, it, it, it was like. It wasn't even an insult. It wasn't saying Callie talks too fast or whatever. It was saying, oh, you guys only did this because Callie can't get on the Real Housewives or something yes, dumb like that. And oh, what what a great project to do after Jeff gets fired. What, this is whimsical or something. Yeah, it ridiculous. was really weird. And she wrote back and said, please don't send me stuff like that. I and I know. I felt so bad because to me it was funny. I don't want to know. Jeff thinks it's funny. I am a little more sensitive and I just don't need to you know, everybody says to me on Instagram all the time, what other people think of me is none of my business. Well, and I like your Instagram policy that I know that you are going to carry over to the upside, which is we're just not going to allow negative energy in the space, not because we don't want critiques critique or, or criticism or, or your feedback, feelings, right? But if you are being nasty just for the sake of being nasty, like that's kind of Callie's um, measuring stick for muting somebody or blocking somebody is if you're nasty just for the sake of being nasty, then you don't get to be in the space. I have said it a million times on Instagram. You don't get to be mean to me in my house. And it's what we're going to do with the upside too. We're working this week on building the upside community and there are going to be house rules of how you're allowed to treat other people. Um, and that's how you, in my opinion, create a safe space. And to me, Instagram is a safe space, a community of people that get it and get what we're trying to accomplish. And if you don't get it and you're being nasty and you're trying to make me feel good, then you don't need to be on my page. And if you can't click the unfollow button yourself, I will gladly block you. <laughs> and I think that's a really great lesson for like real world, like non-internet stuff too. Like if somebody is being nasty to you just for the sake of being nasty, right? You might not be able to block them or ban them. Like if you have a coworker who's who's just nasty or negative or a bully or rude or whatever, you probably have to, tolerate it because it's your job, right? But you don't have to let it rattle you because they don't get to do that to your house. Yeah. But sometimes, I mean, I've even stood up to coworkers that I think are nasty and it makes me a little bit nervous, but I'm like, well, okay. Worst case scenario is I get fired for standing up, but I was always the kid growing up that wasn't very cool. I was really shy and got bullied sometimes. So I never really had a voice and everyone, not everyone, but I feel like a lot of people have this ignore it, brush it off, 
mentality. And I don't think that's mentally healthy to brush it off. I think now that I've kind of found some self-confidence, you know, I heard people at work saying something nasty about another coworker and I, it was like within their earshot and I turned around and I was like, no, I was like, we're not doing that right now. And I, you know, probably am not liked because of that. But to me, you have to stay, you know, you have to stand up and you decide the environment that you want to work in. And I'm not like going to tell the bosses that or getting anyone in trouble, but I'm just saying, hey, FYI, this is not the environment that I want to work in. And I've said that out loud and it hasn't been a problem since I said that. So, you know, I don't know. We all create boundaries. We all, um, Create boundaries for everyone in our life. You create boundaries with your spouse, in your relationships, with your friends, with your coworkers, with your parents. Boundaries are a good thing. And I think it's good to remember if you are, like, let's take the workplace out of it because that's a sticky situation. But if you have people that you invite into your world, Mm -hmm. like socially, like your friends or family or people who come into your spaces, like the house just isn't a physical structure. It's an emotional bubble as well. And if they are coming into your bubble Mm -hmm. and throwing spears or punches or whatever, just for the sake of being nasty, kick them out. Have you had to do that in recent years? I don't, I mean, I just, I I don't confront people. I'll just cut people off. Like if there's people who are too negative or too whatever, I'll just cut people off. Like ignore the texts and not return the calls and. Yeah. Yeah. But I've also been guilty of it too. Like I, I, I know as a funny, like a person who tries to be funny and stuff, like sometimes I am funny at the expense of. Other people like, you know, like I'll make fun of somebody and I don't, I'm not happy. Like that's something I've actively tried to change over the past several years. I didn't even notice that about you. I didn't know that that was something you were insecure about. Is there a moment that made you feel bad or you're just like, you know, that doesn't feel cool. um, I think it's because it's kind of like the easy way out. Like it's, that's the easiest way to get a laugh is by making making fun of of somebody else. And so I love making people laugh. So there's times that I will fall back on that and I just try not to do it. It's like lazy humor or something. Yeah. It makes me feel lazy. And you know, I'm, I'm, the like I'm very equal. Like I also put myself down pretty self-deprecating too for mm-hmm. a laugh. So it's not like I'm not you you know making fun of other people as much as I am just trying to go for the laugh. And that's not fair. Mm-hmm. And because I don't know, it's just it's a weird energy. And that's that has been a shift, a conscious shift of mine over probably the past five or six years. I didn't even know that. Changing that. Well, that's the difference you always talk about. Like, I didn't even know that, Jeff. Well, it's really weird. It's like that that got shaved off with my goatee. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it did. A lot of things got shaved off with Jeff's goatee. One of the the things that I don't know if, if listeners can tell this from if they listened to the Burt Show back when you were on it, but... There was a point where Jeff was known as the snarky a-hole and that's that's who he was known as. And it's funny because he did this triathlon, which to me, he and I met 
probably what, two months before your triathlon, three months before your triathlon. So the only Jeff I knew had already been through the keep moving forward, change your life, get out of your rut, make steps in a positive direction, Jeff. And when we started dating people in his life that love him. Well, that was also too, it's important to note that was also post-divorce. Yeah. And that was that when, if at the time I went through my divorce, I also took a hard look at myself because I wanted to find out what, it was the first time I had gone to therapy. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I had ever really started to look inward and look at myself to try to figure out what makes me tick in the way that I tick. Mm -hmm. And so the post Divorce, Jeff, was more introspective and self-aware, mm -hmm. which then led to all of that other stuff you just Do you explained. think that's because of therapy? Like, was that your oh my gosh moment or did you have the oh my gosh moment before you went to therapy? I I mean, it would be hard for me to pinpoint a moment in time. Mm -hmm. Like, I wouldn't be able to say one came before the other. Mm -hmm. It was just... A period of... Which is so funny. And I don't know if this is what you were going to say. So sorry if I'm stealing your thunder. But it's so funny to hear people say, like, and um, I remember you, like, when I came over to the... Actually, that's not a fair assessment. Because I was, I was uncomfortably tame at Star. Mm -hmm. Like, because I was really trying to reel it in. And I was getting, you know, be friendly to everybody and blah, blah, blah. I, so I think part of the snark was gone, but there, I, there's definitely been an evolution of Jeff. Oh, for sure. And I've gotten to see it and I didn't, I mean, I've gotten to see it. You start at a point of wanting to change and all of the self-growth that you've been through. I don't know the old Jeff. So it's funny when I hear people that have known you for a really long time say, Jeff used to be so different. Oh my gosh. And I don't know what that was about. I mean, in my head, when I look at you, the triathlon changed your life. But in you, I think maybe you see it as, yeah, your divorce. and Well, the triathlon was part of that that season, right? It. Or part mm -hmm. of that period of time. The, triath the triathlon was part of that, but not all of that. And it's funny because you said in, I think the very first episode, you said that you're did you say this in the first episode? You said somewhere, we did a bunch of practice episodes that we never uploaded. So I can't remember if this is something that we talked about the first episode, but I think it is where you said that the triathlon was a disappointment for you long-term, which is funny because I see that as a huge pivotal point in your life. The part of it that's disappointing is that I didn't stick with it. Like I thought I had an expectation that it would be completely life transformative and as far as physical fitness mm -hmm. and mental endurance mm -hmm. and, and, and being able to accomplish things. And so I did a couple of triathlons and then I did um, a half, half marathon. marathon. And then for whatever reason, it just faded away. And so the entirety of it right now is disappointing, but I also have the ability to change that narrative. Like I've started to mm -hmm. run a little bit, like mm -hmm. I can change, I can move it from being a, it's disappointing right now. Disappointing right now doesn't mean disappointing forever. Or as a whole. Right. It just means that part of it was you thought, okay, the rest of my life and this physical mental change happens now. And then you're like, Oh, but also I, there's a movie on TV. I don't know. Right. <laughs> but I think everyone struggles with that. 
So I yeah. So uh, what were we? I, we got so off track. What were we even talking about? We were talking about. I don't remember. Well, this is well. Here's a good transition because we are going to record an episode. So the daily podcast, the daily upside starts Thursday, August eighth, which is if you're listening to this on the day we release it, it's this Thursday. Mm-hmm. And what we need to do, because so many people are telling other people about the podcast and those other people don't know Callie from Instagram. They don't know me from radio. They're just friends of They're like y'all. new friends. Yes. Yeah. So what we need to do is we have to record an episode and put it online sometime on Wednesday and have that episode be kind of a get to know Callie and a get to know Jeff episode, kind of a welcome to the family type thing. Yeah. Which is a funny thing to do because you think, oh yeah, I can tell people about myself or I, but then you sit down you take out your pen and you're like, okay. Um, uh, I, uh, right. What? <laughs> I think I came up with, uh, doesn't like to wash. I don't like to wash my hair and I also like rescue dogs. And then I got stumped. So what, what we're going to do is we're writing down things for each other. Like, so I'll have a list of here's our half a dozen things you need to know about my wife, Callie. And then she's going to do the same thing about me. But if you have anything to add to that, like if from, from your perspective as the extended upside family, if you have something that people need to know about Callie, send it to me. And if you have something that people need to know about me, send it to Callie because there might be stuff that we're overlooking. Yeah. And we, so if you were going to tell your friends what, you know, about me and Jeff, what would you say is basically what we want to know. If so, yeah. If somebody said, if you recommended the podcast to somebody and then they were like, okay, well, why should I listen to him? What's the big deal about Callie? Yeah. Who's Callie? Who's Jeff? What would you say? What would you say? And I think that would help us. So you can just send us, you know, email us or send us those messages on Instagram. Do you want to give away the, one of the upside emails? Well, there's Callie. No. What? No, I mean the ones that are going to be on our website. Yeah, well, I mean, it's... The is that a working email? Callieandjeff.com. So yours is Callie at Callieandjeff.com. Okay. And mine is goodlooking at Callieandjeff.com. Shut up. No, we have an email address set up, love notes at Callieandjeff.com. Isn't that where you want to send people? Yeah, but th- not if they're telling stuff, they have to go to... Oh, I understand. You want it totally separate. Yeah. So okay. Callie at Callieandjeff.com and also Jeff at callieandjeff.com. Like I said. <laughs> and that's how we'll do it. And I just want to save um, Callie's inbox too. You don't, it's, I, I, we all know that I'm very attractive physically. Mm-hmm. So don't, you don't have to bring that up to her. <laughs> like she knows. I'm sure that, that you're saving a lot of people's typing hands from, from typing that and sending it to me. So yeah. So that will help us tremendously going into uh, Thursday uh, of this week is this preview show. So thank you in advance for the help. You know what is also crazy about this week? What? This would have been in our due date week. I know that. And you know what? This is going to, it's a sad thing 
It's I have been dreading talking about this on here. Why? Because I have been really caught up in the excitement and the good part of the upside that I haven't really, I've been kind of avoiding thinking about that and I really don't want to cry and get upset about it, but I already feel, I saw that on the show schedule and I was like, oh boy, okay. Like I've just been dreading talking about it. Well, okay, the positive part of it which it sounds like a terrible thing to say but if you don't know uh Callie and I were pregnant at the end of last year and then at the beginning of this year we were not um like some crazy number that doesn't get talked about but like one in four women one in five women suffer four, one in four one in four women suffer a miscarriage Mm -hmm. with their first pregnancy, mm -hmm. right? And Callie was one of those women. So uh, we lost the baby that we thought we were going to have. And and uh, it's obviously something that we're going to think about forever. But we don't think about it enough to, to have realized until after the launch date of the podcast was set that we are launching the podcast completely accidentally on what would have been the due date of our child. <coughs> oh, Excuse you're coughing. Me. I thought you were crying. No, I'm coughing. <laughs> can I have some of your water? Yeah, you can. Don't drink oh. water. Oh, just don't drink out of the, th I have a cold sore. Just, um, so Jeff gave me a lecture before we came on here and said, don't drink water on the air. You just got water in your computer. So, uh, so anyways, it just, it's purely coincidental that we are birthing the upside the week that we should have been birthing our kid. First baby. How do you feel about it? I don't, it, for me, it's not fair to ask me how I feel about it because it's, it's sad, but no Nope. I have no doubt. No part of me is doubting the fact that we will have a family when it's yeah. the appropriate time. Mm -hmm. And just because I, the way my brain works, I'm so logical and so practical about stuff that that makes it, it's not okay. I know trying what you to mean. Choose I know my what words you mean. Carefully, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want me to ask you how you're feeling about it? Or yes. Should, okay. How are you feeling about it? <laughs> I, feel, well, I didn't know if you wanted me to ask because you said you didn't <laughs> want to cry, but I could see you tearing up. Um, I feel I I am the same way. I mean, I have no doubt in my mind that we're going to be parents. Like I, whatever. For me, the part I get upset Can you about. Hear that? You know what? <laughs> Lily, our dog, just ran out of the room in protest because we're already parents to two <laughs> wonderful did. dogs. She just ran out of here if you couldn't hear. <laughs> um, but for me, the sadness doesn't come from the fear that we're never going to get another baby. Like this sadness for me comes with, I think when we found out we were pregnant, it was a scary but exciting thing. And this weird, after we saw the heartbeat, something happened with me where I, I felt that instinct to protect it. And even super early on when I didn't have a bump, I felt 
like I like I caught myself having my hand around my stomach or Aww. kind of like guarding my stomach unintentionally a little bit more because I think it's instinctual. And this kind of protective thing comes into play super early, at least it did for me, where I'm like, okay, I'm, I've got to protect this thing. And I couldn't protect our baby. And that is the part that I get sad about even still because it's not that we don't have a baby. It's that we don't, I couldn't protect that baby. But you know, that's what you're saying is illogical, right? Well, it's not illogical. It's a feeling. It's not like, I think I could have done something differently. I don't feel that way, but I, you know, when I went to therapy, which is like two weeks after we lost the baby, I said to my therapist, I, the vision that I have in my head of closure is like being able to hold our baby and saying, I'm sorry that I couldn't Mm. protect you more. So that's the part that is really hard for me. So it's not, I don't think we're never going to have a baby. I just, I feel sad for that baby. Like I wish that I could say I was sorry. I thought it was really interesting. I think it was your therapist who, who pointed out, you can take a drink. She's very nervous because last time you just took a big guzzle right into the microphone. So just teaching you studio etiquette. You good? Yeah, I'm good. All right. So I thought it was really interesting what your therapist said about the whole – I think it was your therapist. Maybe it was mine. Somebody smarter than us (laughs) said that one of the tragedies of miscarriage is that – there's no funeral, like there's no service, there's no closure. There's the no way, steps for taking care. The way there is with another loss. Right. Right? So had the the baby lived and been delivered and lived to, to any age outside of your body, mm-hmm. and then something tragic happened, there would be an opportunity for that closure. Right. But there's kind of not. Well, she was explaining. And on top of that, I think it's ridiculous. Sorry to cut you off. But I think I think it's really, I think you're so brave. And I'm so proud of you for talking about this the way you do. Because it's ridiculous to me that it's so prevalent, but so not talked about. Like, don't, if it has happened to you, it is not a failure. It's not a failure. It's not your fault. It's not. It's just the way things happen sometimes. And, um, you know, I think for me, what my therapist was trying to explain to me, because it was my therapist that said that, I was struggling because, you know, when you miscarry, if, you know, I took a couple rounds of pills. This is about to be kind of graphic. So if you have kids, (laughs) now would be the time to hit pause and pick it up later. But if you take, I took pills to miscarry. And so you're seeing things come out for a little bit. And I saw the last little bit that I didn't want to see actually when I was at the doctor's office. And you basically just like, you're in a place where they know how to handle that. And you basically just throw it away, literally throw it away. And there's no like, I mean, I struggled. I still struggle with this so hard about feeling like I abandoned our baby. Like I threw away our baby. That's how I feel. And um, so what my therapist was trying to explain to me is that there's no like thing in place when that happens and you see that or or if it, it passes, like there's no thing set in motion 
So there's no, like, for weeks, I was like, how am I different from, sorry, from those women that abandon their children, you know, give birth and throw their babies away? Like, how am I different than that? And um, what she was trying to explain to me is this grief is so weird because if there was a tangible baby that you had in your arms that you lost, you would do all of these things and there would be a funeral and people would come to you and then you'd have like, you know, people would bring stuff to your house. Like there would be this whole process. Like there's no clear cut path for how to navigate this kind of loss. Like you, you couldn't have done anything differently than what you did. And so that's been the hardest part for me. So you're sad because we didn't get casseroles? <laughs> no. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> See, Jeff Dollar is my upside all the time. <laughs> Whenever I'm sad, he's always, always my upside. Are you, have, do you think, I was about to say, have you been able to work through it? Because I didn't even, I, I mean, I knew that you were sad about that, but we've had a lot going on, so. Right. Where are you in the process? Like, does your therapist think that it's something that can ever be come to terms with? Or is it just she doesn't something think it's that you, you learn to live with it? Or I went into it's her. A, it's a form of grief, right? It is a form of grief. And I went into her saying, okay, how do I get over this? And I think I asked her, I'm like, when am I going to move on from this? Like, I'm sick of being sad. And she said, well healthy grief. She said, I don't think it's healthy to sit it, to lay in your bed and never get out again. Cause you're so overwhelmed with sadness. And I also don't think it's good to pack it all up, put it in a box, completely get rid of it. And then say, and then say, I'm done with this. What? So, that's what I do. So, do, do <laughs> it's do. really healthy. Boo. How's it working out for you? You can do that. I've done that <laughs> just a lot. Act like it act like the box isn't there. It's right. just not there. It's just, you know, right. And when you walk by the closet where you keep those boxes, <laughs> you don't even look in that direction. Yeah, no, it's fine. Avoidance is great. But she said, she told me to see grief horizontally and that it was just something that was going to pop up in, in healthy places throughout my life. Like when our baby would have graduated high school, like life moments for that child, that's when I will probably feel grief, even if we have other children. And she said, that is healthy. It's healthy for grief to pop up every once in a while throughout your life, but you'll probably you know, I had someone message me on Instagram that said, I'm 53 and I have kids that have graduated high school. And I cried last week about the baby we lost and we have three healthy kids. Why is it? Be, because why do you think it is such a non-spoken about medical thing? Because I think, I mean, you saw me two days after I started that we lost, that we knew that we lost the baby. I, newsflash, I saw you every day. I know, so but you, I was you there saw when my. We, when we made the baby, I was there a <laughs> lot. The whole thing. But the mental, the mental thing that you go through, I was convinced for the first two weeks, granted my hormones were out of control, but I was convinced that I had killed our baby. So I think women, I couldn't even say that to my friends for like two months. Say what? Say, I felt like I killed our, I felt like I killed our baby. Like I felt that guilty about it. And I think it's a guilt and almost for me, it was an embarrassment. Not that it happened, but that I felt like 
what if I did something wrong? What if I took medicine that helped? What if I drank when I didn't know I was pregnant? What if, what if, what if? And I told my doctor all of that. And she's like, Callie, that's not it. <laughs> that's not right. a thing. That's not, that is not, hi, I'm telling you, that is not why this happened. Right. Like this happened because your baby was, your body was identifying that there was something not going well. And it was like, you know, like it's, the, you got it. So the... So it's almost like this catch 22 where people don't want to talk about it for fear of being it being labeled negative but the reason it has such a negative label aside it's from no the hormones but is because nobody talks about it. So it just becomes this loop. And now it's been great because there are a lot of celebrities speaking out. Whitney Port said that she had a miscarriage. Um, Hillary Baldwin, I think his, she's married to Alex Baldwin, said that she, so there are women publicly saying I had a miscarriage. And I think for a lot of women, they don't tell anyone that they miscarried because no one knew they were pregnant. And that's something that I will change, I think, next time, as long as you're into it. Like, I don't want to wait and tell people we're pregnant because you're not, quote unquote, supposed to. So the three-month mark? Yeah, but then you're supposed to be sick, tired, not drinking, all of this stuff. Like, that is exhausting, and you're already exhausted. And then if we lost the baby anyway, and no one knew. So I'm like, all right, I'm not doing that again. When we find out we're pregnant, let's tell our parents, let's tell our friends, and then let's tell the world. So can we address then what the the uh, what I think is the most awkward part? Jeff hates this. Oh my god, I don't know because I don't know how to handle it. But because you were so brave in public and sh- you know were willing to share about our miscarriage, everybody knows the timeline of when it happened and especially mm-hmm. women who have experienced or know so many experiences it knows that it's not like a you know one weekend process Thing, and then you're back. so yep. enough time has passed that people are asking the question and and you don't you we don't have to argue whether or not this is an appropriate question that's not my point but the there are people who say are you guys trying which to me, I hear as, so you doing it? And <laughs> you it, would. And it makes me so uncomfortable because I know it's asked with the proper intention. Mm-hmm. And it's it's people, it's a lot of people who have been through it or experienced it who want to know if we're on the other side of it. Yeah. Physically mm-hmm. and mentally. And if we're trying to 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 start our family again. So I know it's meant with the best of intentions, but the minute somebody says, so are you guys trying? I'm like, Did you? <laughs> I immediately become like a 15 year old boy. And I'm like, I see it naked. So, uh, yeah. Do you feel awkward thinking about that? My parents are probably listening to this. No, they know that we've done it. <laughs> I mean, we told them, which is something else that we need to discuss. And we have to wrap up. We're already way over time on this episode, so sorry. But we have to address the audio that we have of telling your parents and my parents, because I don't know what to do with it, because it's really... No, we delete it. We delete it? Yeah. No. We can never share it? No. Your dad was so cute. Yeah, I know. Can't do it. Sorry. 
Thank you for listening to the Upside Podcast with Callie and Jeff. Please make sure you subscribed so you never miss an episode of The Upside. Can we play it when you get pregnant again as though it was for that baby? No. All right. It's weird. I'm just thinking of content. <laughs> Let's bring it home. What did the guy tell us? What did the Hollywood agent tell us? We need clicks. Oh my gosh. We need lessons. You're so, horrible. Uh, all right. Well, uh, we go daily. Uh, if you, well, I guess I don't see this is what I don't know how to address on podcasts. If you're listening this to this on the day it's released, we're going daily this Thursday. So just a quick reminder, we're going to record an episode of the show telling people what they need to know about us. Mm-hmm. Did I explain that properly? Mm-hmm. So we need your emails. Jeff at CallieandJeff.com. Tell me things that people need to know about Callie. And then email Callie, Callie at CallieandJeff.com. Things that people need to know about me. <laughs> and we'll record an episode. It'll be kind of like Callie and Jeff 101. And then there's a launch date. And then the launch date is, is this Thursday. Yay. Provided that you're listening to this before Thursday, August 8th. I'm going to have to. Okay. Yeah. Maybe just stop talking. That's a great place to end the podcast. Thank you for listening to The Upside.